It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. How nice it would be if the season ended about a month sooner. You do get kind of less competition, I think, with the NFL by wrapping up your season a little bit earlier. You're going to look at good weather to start the season no matter what, whether it's end of May or into June and July, giving us that little bit of a break at the end of the season, I think, is, is something worth investigating. A third down gamble, quick kick. Welcome everyone to another episode of Quick Kicks and joining me from the Alberta capital, two of my really good friends, Superfan Mike and Andrew of the Turf District and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on. It's always good to chat with you. Hey, it's always great talking to you guys and uh, yeah, rumor is first time you guys have been together on a podcast in a while. It's been a, yeah, it's been a bit. Yeah, we uh, we decided to kind of shut it down in July with the uh, name change and rebranding. And uh, then, of course, there was no football to talk about. So we have a little bit longer to work on our rebranding. And uh, hopefully we'll be back in the new year with uh, fun new shows and, and talking, you know, hope and excitement for new football. Come back 2021. I'm I'm just so excited for it. I was so happy that the CFL dropped the schedule during what would have been Grey Cup week and everything that I've heard about it and talked to other friends, everyone's just like, yes, finally. The one thing people always love to do about is complain about a schedule when it first comes out. But I think having missed an entire season, nobody's really complaining at this point. They're just grateful to have any football to talk about, whether it's on a Thursday or in some cases a Tuesday or Wednesday this coming year. But uh, hey, let's be honest, we'll take it if it's live football. Yeah, I'm I'm on board for, hey, there's hope, right? <laughs> that's, that's, it was a nice shining light in the middle of the week that, hey, we're not celebrating all together for football this week, that, hey, maybe this tells us that there is some dates involved that we could be able to get together and chat football. Well, and that's what my sincere hope is. It's a full 18-game schedule. They've obviously changed it up a little bit by having more games within your division, which I really like. It does mean that some teams won't go to another park, but it cuts down on travel as well, and I don't mind that. It's an imbalanced schedule. Saskatchewan-Winnipeg, for instance, play one less game in the West, play one more game in the East for both of them, but that's the joy of a nine-team league and an 18-game schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, uh, some of us are old enough to remember the uh, partially interlocking schedule from 61 to 1980 before they switched to the fully interlocking. So back then, you know, you sometimes only saw these other teams from the East every second year. Or I think it's the best of the, of the situation because you just don't want to be taking all those extra plane rides. I, just even economically, just to cut down... The overall expenditure, I think it's a great idea. Plus, I don't know if you and I have talked about it, Andrew, but I know in this podcast with Pat, I have said that the East's fate was always decided in the West, at least now with 10 games within their own division. They have a better shakedown of where they're going to fit, and it's not so dependent on how they play the West. If they have a 3-5 and five West schedule, they can still beat up on the East and get into the playoffs. Yeah, well, I think that having them play each other more, you, you kind of really will separate those teams that 
are good in that division, right? Like they're going to actually separate out. I, I, I'll be interested to see if that actually affects the crossover too, because they're going to be playing each other so much that there's more likelihood to have some movement in that division. So it should, it could be kind of interesting. It would be interesting actually to look back and I think it was up when Winnipeg was in the East up till 2012, they had more games in the East than they did play the West at that time, like Eastern clubs and crossovers were not that often. It's only been since Ottawa has come back and Winnipeg has moved West. that suddenly now you play 10 games in the West. If you're the East that the crossover has come up again. Yeah, I mean, we certainly had the crossover before that, but you're right. It's not nearly as prevalent as it was in the last couple of years, for sure. I, I mean, we've never had an Eastern crossover team. Eventually, I like to think that's going to happen. I think if you have a fully balanced schedule, like if we had 10 teams, 18 games, everyone plays everyone twice, then you might start seeing maybe more of a chance of an Eastern crossover. But uh, at this point... It's hard to say, but I think giving them the opportunity to play each other more often and us to play each other more often is going to get be good for the rivalries as well. And if, uh, if there's no crossover, so be it. Just got to be the top three. I'm with you on that. I, th- I think if Halifax gets in or maybe when they get in, I think you'll still see an imbalance where the East and the West will play 12 within the division and then six across to the other side. And partly because of, again, the whole business of economics. Halifax to Vancouver is a very expensive flight. So do you want to make that every year? That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And I I think this will be an interesting way to see how this season plays out so that they kind of get that foreshadowing for when that other team comes in. And I think too, I I know that the East probably prefers this, but I bet you anything there are Western teams that prefer this too, because I'm sure that Edmonton would rather see another game against Calgary than they would play Montreal or Toronto in Edmonton. Well, that depends on how good Toronto is that year. So we might like to play them more at that particular Calgary. We we all love to hate them because they're good. So that is, you know, I'd be okay if I played them less. But but, but uh, no, talking go back to the economics though. I mean, even BC, it makes a lot of sense. They have to fly everywhere. There's not like they. It's not like Edmonton who can take a bus to go down to Calgary, right? Uh, with them having to fly everywhere, if they only have to fly. A couple, you know, a couple or three provinces over instead of four, or if they add that tenth team, eight, you know, uh, probably better that you know they they it keeps it a little cheaper for them to be more on this western side. Well, if you think about it, I believe the distance from Montreal to Hamilton is shorter than any distance Winnipeg has to travel and any distance BC has to travel. So in that, they get all four teams, and then the other ones haven't met one before they show up eight hours later or whatever. For proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Now, speaking of energy, Edmonton's put out a call for a new team name and they've gone to... Good Lord, don't say that. That's a horrible name. That is not the name. No. I may, may be a little, I may have some strong feelings about this, but uh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's all fine. Uh, what do you think of the idea of, of reaching out the way Edmonton did to come up with the new name? I personally am not a fan. 
Uh, and I'll tell you why. I, I think that if it was a brand new team that we had never had the team here before and we were launching a team, I think this is a brilliant idea. Put it out and find some really cool names that you just didn't even think of and that that would be great. But because there was a team name for so long and so many people are so connected and passionate about that particular name, doing this, it's like we had the whole fight over changing the name when they announced they were going to change it. And now when doing this, it's like they've just opened that whole fight all over again. And so I, I find that to be very, as a fan who's just ready to move on and let's get to the next stage, I, I just find it super frustrating to do that. I would have much preferred them come out with, here are the four names or five names that we like. Let's start fan voting now. I still think they need to have that type of fan engagement and that will happen later on when they have those four or five picked. I just think putting it out this way is is just stirring the pot again that we don't really want to have at this moment. Mike? If you're asking the fans to pick a name, then you're assuming the fans are actually going to have your best interest when they answer the poll. And I don't think they are. They are still smarting. And just as everything starts to scab over, they rip the scab off and it starts bleeding again to get not too visual. But you guys have to get the name. And if you get the name, you've got to get the URL, you've got to get the branding, you've got to build a marketing campaign around it. So to have a fan come up with some name, whatever it happens to be, then you've got to start at that point and get the marketing going. If you can get two or three or four different ideas and present them, you've already got the marketing plans in mind. And there's just some words I just don't I mean, they, maybe they'll work, but how do you market them? Well, that's fair enough. Uh, I, I watch NFL Throwback on YouTube, and if you ever want to hear the story of how NFL teams got their nicknames, many a time they went to the fan choice, and then when it came to the final decision, they threw out all of them and picked another one anyway. Right, right. It, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here, but it does kind of feel like that. But I, like I said, I think it's just, I think, Mike, your visual was perfect. That is totally what it feels like. Some of us were healing already. Why do we need to do that all over again? Yeah, I think I've just found that I just I can't read the comments, and my block list and social media has grown astronomically. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting to read some of the commentary about that. It even I even had to pause and wonder, wow, ouch! <laughs> I just don't even know how to describe my feelings about it because. I thought people were starting to move on and, and maybe like this band-aid just came right off as we suggested. Yeah, and we're running out of band-aids. So let's just let's just let's get the healing process started. That that's what I want to say. I, I'd like to move forward. Yeah. Part of the healing I would imagine is keep the club colors. Yes. Yes. Uh does it have to be EE? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh I think if you're going to have people that have been longtime fans, whether it's since 1949 or whether it's in the last five years or even less, you need some continuity from the old to the new. And while the colors are great, I think you need to have that EE logo at least the very beginning to keep that continuity with the, 
you know, at this point, 71 years of a team. Well, the one thing that Edmonton has done is they've, they have changed it over the years, but the EE has been on that helmet since the mid sixties. Right. Correct. Unlike other teams that have like BC have gone to a paw and then they've changed the logo completely in 2015. The Alouettes have gone through several different iterations. The Argonauts have come back to what they more or less were in the eighties. I think in Edmonton, at least there's a stronger allegiance because that's all you've known. Right. Well, I think too, it, it just helps with that transition period, right? If there's something that is familiar to you, and that is the logo, then I can work on the name side of things. But at least I've got the logo and the colors, right? So like you see the shirt that I'm wearing. I know people who are listening to this don't see the shirt I'm wearing, but (laughs) the shirt that I'm wearing, it's green and gold and it has the logo on it. And so this shirt is still good. I, I can still wear this shirt and it is connected to the team no matter what the new name is. Don't get me wrong. When there's a new name and there's merch, I'm a sucker. I'm going to buy a ton of it. I understand that. But it, it's cool to have some of these ones that are still, I, I can still put this on and it's fine. Like it, it, it I'm still attached to the team. So I, I think it's important that they keep that. They could tweak the logo. You know, maybe they make the EEs more 3D or I don't know, whatever, but just don't go nuts. Like it's got to stay that EE and, and preferably just leave the logo alone and worry about the name. So no antlers if it's the Elks or anything like that? It can be a secondary. Yeah. Yeah. Third helmet, I'm fine with that. Or second helmet, I guess, because they're only allowed to wear one helmet now. But Yeah, so it'd be second decal, I guess. Correct. Right. Yeah, I'd be totally fine with that. I actually saw there was a mock-up of that on Twitter a while back, and uh, right when they were talking about the name change, and that was almost the thing that I kind of went, eh, maybe Elks isn't a bad one, because that kind of looks neato. I like that. So... Well, and it is a nod to the history of the team, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets brought up a lot that that it's uh, you know, well, we were the Elks before. I'm like, we were called the Canucks longer than we were called the Elks. I mean, we switched to being called the Elks on October sixteenth, nineteen twenty-two. We had the Grey Cup six weeks later, and that was it. Then after that, we never heard the name Elks again. So, six weeks of our entire history over the last hundred and twelve years. We were called the Elks. <laughs> yeah, I guess there is history. There, well, but it is something that you can call back. I was going to say, it. it is a tie. It's a tie more than any other name has had to this point, I guess. But it's a it's a weak line. I mean, if you really want to be nitpicking, Calgary had the name Rough Riders in 1911. <laughs> That's true. The Calgary Rough Riders. Oh, that, that just... That I did not know. Yeah. Well, this is learning with Mike. Welcome to every show that we've ever done with Mike. <laughs> he is absolutely a walking encyclopedia. And again, nobody checks, right? <laughs> I mean, I could just make anything up. Every podcast needs a mic. Yeah. <laughs> like a CFL receiver, we need to keep our eye on the COVID-19 ball. Let's maintain physical distancing. When that is not possible, we all need to wear a mask. Let's uh, dig into your past a little bit. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing with the Quick Kicks is finding out what got you into football. Where, where did your interest come from? So I'll start with you, Mike. Your life has moved around a little bit. So where did it all start for you? Where did the CFL come into, into your... Uh... Uh, so my parents split up when I was very young. 
um, and we moved from Medicine Hat, where I was born, up to Edmondson, where my mom's brother worked. And then she eventually met and married who became my stepdad. He was an American living in Canada and didn't really quite get hockey, as most people from the, the Midwest, uh, the United States are. But he knew football, and he happened to go to the same university that uh, Johnny Bright did. So there was that sort of connection as well. So as he's trying to learn about his new son and get to, to know him, he started taking me to football games. So the first thing we watched was the 74 Grey Cup. Uh, which didn't have the greatest ending. But, I mean, it was football. It was the introduction to me, and I was just blown away by it. And then, you know, I watched uh, the Super Bowl right after that, um, and then back to the 75 season. So I started going to games because he had season tickets. And uh, I was just in love with it. The the speed, the sounds, like it was just the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. So that sort of got me into it. He would tell me a lot about the history of the team, especially those 50s teams and everything else. When I started getting to football, it made me have that connection with my dad. So even years later, football and my dad had that instant connection. And same with the history of the team as well. You you mentioned going to games in 75. That's Clark Stadium. Yeah, it was. I was uh, in the Knothole gang there. Yeah. And what was that atmosphere like at Clark? It was sort of like old Taylor Field, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, there was benches as opposed to the uh, actual seats where we were sitting, um, which was great because my parents had the two seats. And uh, on those cold days, instead of firing me off to the uh, the Knothole Gang at seven, eight years old, I could sit with them if I could just squeeze in between them because there was just lines drawn where the seats were supposed to end. So, you know, you can get two adults and one little kid in there pretty easily. So uh, it was a small thing. They used to refer to it as the grand old lady uh, of stadiums. Back in the 70s, as Commonwealth was being built, I was there at the last game, and you could see Commonwealth off in the distance, knowing that a week later we'd be there. And the difference between the two of, of going to this sort of quaint, smaller, you know, 29,000 seats kind of thing to a 60,000 seat stadium the next week is just mind blowing, especially when you're, you know, four foot whatever at the time. So everything's massive. And Andrew? Uh, well, I started when I was around six years old and I got introduced by my uncle um, who uh, used to be on the podcast, uh, Uncle Tim. And he um, he took me to my first game and, and uh, I remember sitting in the stands, West Side, of course, because West Side is the best place to be in Commonwealth. It's true. But I, I, I remember Commonwealth, just like Mike said, you're so little and you walk in and this place, this is an enormous place, right? And uh, I've I've told this story a number of times on on our podcast, but uh, I re I remember Morin Moon like just firing that ball to Marco Sincar and like it hit him like a gun went off, <laughs> and somehow he got it. And I was like, wow, uh, th this is really cool. And and I just loved the atmosphere at that point. Like the game itself, I I liked, but it was really the atmosphere and going to a live game. Um, and of course I went to a few games in there. And then when I was a teenager, I, I, w I started going to, with my cousins to every game, we would get the Sobeys tickets and go. And, and that was, that was in the height of the gizmo years. And, and I mean, it just, it sucks you right in. You, you learn the game while you're just watching all these guys that you are so amazed with some of the feats that they can pull off. So uh, that, that was really my connection where it started. And Edmonton, as early as 72, we're starting to make the bid to get back in the playoffs. 73, they make the Grey Cup. And by the time you guys are rolling through, that is a dynasty in the making. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about a team that nine years out of ten were finished first in the West, won the West final all nine of those years, and won the Grey Cup six out of the nine. So uh, you just don't see anything like that. It just happened to be that perfect storm of getting into football at the exact time when that dynasty was building. And then right after that, of course, the Oilers started winning championships as well. So if you're a sports fan at Edmondson, it was a pretty sweet time to be around. Yeah, I I was going right in the middle of that five in a row. And I mean, you can't help but I mean, by the time I was introduced to football, it's like, what do you mean there's a gray cup and we're not in it? <laughs> what do you, you tell? Like, I know it sounds spoiled and I shouldn't, but, but that's what it was like when I was a kid. It was like, okay, we know that gray cup weekend, we're getting together with my uncles and, and aunts and, and we're going to watch a bit of the game. They're going to watch all the game. We're going to play with my cousins and we're going to catch a bit and we're going to win. Like, and at the end, everyone's going to be happy and that's going to be great. And that's kind of, so that, that kind of ingrains you to be like, okay, I, I really like this team. And then, of course, I, when I was old enough to kind of understand the game more and then it was 87 and you were winning again, right? So it was uh, – and then 89, of course, we had an amazing team and then they canceled the Grey Cup. I don't know why. But it was it was amazing to uh, kind of get on board at that time, right? I wouldn't complain. From 72 to 76, the Riders and the, and the Edmonton team, I'll be fair, met five – in a row, Riders bookended, and Edmonton won the three middle ones. Mm-hmm. After 76, the Rough Riders said, that's it, we're done for a while, and showed up again, I think it was 87 or 88, when they finally made the playoffs. And in 89, yes, that, that West Final was unbelievable. Didn't exist. Didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's the denial factor coming from Edmonton, obviously, that it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the game. Actually, I didn't even watch the game. I was in the airport in Toronto, and Chris Walby had a little television set, and he was watching the game because the Bombers had just lost to Hamilton, and they were waiting for their plane. And I was in <laughs> Toronto with the Vanier Cup with the Huskies. Oh, wow. Well, that's cool. That's my story about it. And then I, I went and watched the, uh, the, the tape of it when I got home later. And I, to my amazement the riders had won i mean a nine and nine riders team beating that edmonton team yeah yeah like i said it's unfortunate they canceled the gray cup the next week right mike yeah 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 totally sad yeah we just stopped it right there yep that's right this should never have happened we just need to cancel it all <laughs> so okay so your kids they ask the edmonton team is winning year after year after year after year you talked about 87 and they go back you do hit a point where the team starts to falter just a little bit. And as a, a youth and you're moving into your adulthood, where, where is your mind at with all of that? Because you've been so used to a, a winning team and Grey Cups were just like picking daisies. You, they were coming up fast and furious. Yeah, Edmonton doesn't make it in 83, but in, in 82-3, the Oilers are in the cup final and ultimately lose four straight to the Islanders. But then the next year they win it, and then the year after that they win it. Then the next year they don't win it, but Edmonton's in the Grey Cup again. They both win it in 87. Uh, yeah, you know, we had a nice cushion anyway for the team, but it was always competitive. Uh, we always had a great quarterback. I mean, we were... Certainly a quarterback and middle linebacker factory, it seemed like. It just, 
every year it's like, oh, we lost Tom Wilkins. We got Warren Moon. We've Warren Moon leaves. We've got Dunnigan. Then we've got Allen. Then we've got Ham. Then Allen's back. I mean, we're talking what twenty years, twenty-two years of Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and then middle linebackers, same kind of thing, right? So yeah, and that's what that's what keeps you going. And and then I mean, they won in '87. Then they won again in '93, and so you're you're all in at that point. It's like, I I've seen, you know, probably four championships that I remember, you know, all the game. Um, and I know there was these ones before. And so at that point you're kind of like, yeah, this, this, this is my team. It doesn't really matter what happens. And then they bring in guys like Kerwin bell and you're like, yeah, well, this is not going to be a great year, but guess what? I'm sure we have a good running back. <laughs> there's always that, you know, there was always that next person to go to. And, and in that whole stretch um, where they did, you know, they had the 10 years without a cup Giz was on the team basically that entire time. And I I don't care who you are. He was worth watching a game for because you never knew what was going to happen. And in the stands, every time the other team came to kick the ball, we'd all be cheer chanting Gizmo Gizmo. And it, it, it keep, it brought you back to the game because there was an atmosphere around uh, and a, a very, very electric player. He, I think was worth seven points a night that he played pretty much because of what he could do. Yeah. Or the threat of even, right? Yeah. He was a threat to score anywhere on the field. Correct. Now you're into your adult life and where does football fit then? Your careers are moving along. How do you fit the CFL in? How do you, how do you fit your Edmonton football in? Well, I can tell you what was big for me was, uh, in, in 2000, uh, I met my now wife and, it was our third date, I want to say, somewhere in that range. We'd uh, she agreed to go to the return Labor Day Classic with me, and there was fifty nine thousand people there, and it was an amazing game. And I'm teaching her the game, and then that next year we got season tickets, and we have been going ever since. We've taken our kids, uh, the ones that want to go. My my oldest has now decided that football is not that fun, uh, but my boys are my boys are into it so they're they're going with us now and and that it's kind of just become a family tradition and and my my wife's very understanding hence I'm sitting in the decorated room that I am yeah and mike yeah from the mid 80s to sort of the early mid 90s i had actually started working in uh, restaurants and working nights so a lot of times i didn't get to see live football so this is back when you know vcrs are plentiful and blank tapes aren't that expensive so i used to tape every game um whether it was edmondson or whether it was any team just a cfl game um and so i would finish work at you know 11 o'clock get home watch a game until about two in the morning and then sleep until noon type of thing so it was was all right when you're a late you know an older teenager and, and early 20s um by the time i got into working just days i only had a couple of years before i actually moved to victoria um and people that have been to victoria know it's not the biggest sports town um you're sort of all secondhand kind of thing it's whether it's the canucks or whether it's the seahawks or or whatever um so but the internet and especially message boards it started getting much bigger at the time and so i met a lot of people 
that way and would talk to them online. Um, just sort of keeping in touch because, again, I couldn't go see that live football other than the occasional trip to Vancouver, which is extremely expensive to get on the ferry uh, with your car, drive there, uh, park, get a hotel because you're, you'll miss the last ferry home, etc. So um, we used to just sort of get together at the neighborhood pub. We had uh, Ottawa fans. We had Lions fans. We had Edmonton fans. And we even had a few Calgary fans. And, of course, Ryder fans are everywhere. So, um, you know, we had all of these different groups of people that we would sort of get together and just celebrate the, our love of the CFL. So that's what kind of got me really back into it after you know, having it more of a solo thing, like just watching it by myself um, for so many years. And then uh, finally I uh, got back to moving home and uh, uh, I had connected with Andrew a year and a half before that, I guess. Yeah, because it was 20, 2015 is when we met at training camp. Yeah, in 2016 I moved back. And then, so yeah, because yeah, 2015 Grey Cup, that, we, that was when we really got to know each other really well yeah we got time that was a good time <laughs> yeah. yeah it was a good time okay that's that's gonna sound really interesting to people well, that's not what i meant uh we just, there's yeah. always that story at gray cup <laughs> it doesn't matter who's telling it that's right. whatever happens at gray cup stays at gray stays cup. at gray cup. um no I, I but you know what though it's funny when you because that was the year i started the podcast and which actually increased not only my fandom of the team, but also just my circle of people that wanted to talk the same thing that I did, whether it was Edmonton fans or other team fans. And to me, that was just like Mike was talking about when he first went in on the message boards and, and kind of met all these people starting the podcast is when that happened for me a, a little bit before that with Twitter, but it, the podcast really blossomed that. And so that that Grey Cup, of course, which had the greatest outcome ever, um, and Mike and I got to spend that time together and and kind of really dive deep into our fandom of the Edmonton team. It was it was amazing, right? That's uh, so it was very lucky for me that he decided to move back and and be part of the show. <laughs> so I I say that many many times. That was uh, that was a huge huge deal for not only for me as a fan but also for the the podcast and the show. He dropped a lot of hints for the like year leading up to that. Well, maybe a few. <laughs> Where did the show come from? I know Andrew, you started it. You had other people hosting it. Yep. And then, but Mike is out there somewhere. Where, how does this all coalesce? Well, so Mike is still in Victoria at the time. And so I released the podcast. I have no idea how you found it, actually. Twitter. Just Twitter. Okay. And uh, next thing you know, I, I, I'm getting, I get a message. Hey, I really like the show and thanks for doing this. And so we have a little back and forth. And next thing you know, we realize we have a lot in common <laughs> and we're, we're talking a lot about the team and, um, and then you were coming out for that training camp. So then... Yeah, like two or three episodes in. Yeah. So then we got a chance to actually meet face-to-face -face and we're like, oh, okay, well, th this is this is good. And I think it was episode seven or eight is when I had you on the first time, just over the phone. It was early August, I think, because we were just before we were playing the Lions. Okay. We had, uh, yeah, so we talked on the phone then and it was great. And so then we just kept talking on Twitter and... And then uh, Grey Cup came, and yeah, it was like, wow, this is a, this is a good friendship. This is amazing. I think 
back then we like because Andrew sort of had a rotating co-host, and so it might be a couple with Josh, and then you know a couple. So he had two or three, two or three. We had two, and then we had, and then UT was here at the time, right? So UT sort of came later, but it was Doug and Josh for the majority of the beginning. At the beginning, yes, yeah, correct. Yep, yep, yeah. So I think it was just. Like you'd sort of get a chemistry going and then you'd switch hosts and it was almost a different feel to it. Um, and then when UT came along, then you sort of had that banter between the two of you and it really solidified, I think, at that point because you had that consistency every week or every twice a week, I guess, sometimes back then. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. You know, you had sort of you knew what you were going to expect regardless of who was going to sit in that co-host seat. Um, and, and I don't know, uh, I remember talking about the game and I had no idea what to expect. I'd been listening to the BC Lions Den podcast for a while before that, a couple of years. So I sort of knew how podcasts were going to go. Plus I had listened to the, the, the Andrews podcast at that point. So, uh, I had a general idea, but at this point, I think I had like two pages of notes. I was just sitting there going over them, uh, while sitting at my desk while I was talking on the phone. It was quite funny. Yeah. Well, and when, but you know what, when I will say though, because we had had the other conversations on Twitter and we had met enough times kind of face to face, um, and, and Mike had listened to the show up to this point when he joined the, the show as a co-host, um, in August of 16, right? July, July, like July 30th or whatever. Yeah. We, We already had a banter. And it was actually very, very comfortable right from the get-go because Mike is, A, incredibly intelligent as far as the history of the team. Like, there, there is nobody, even Google can't give you an answer faster than Mike can when we talk about the Edmonton football team. But when we, he's also very, very quick. And so when I say something that even has the slightest bit of euphemism or something that is a little off, he can jump on it very quickly, which then makes me laugh. And then I'm, I try to be pretty good at making them laugh at the same time. And because we have that rapport already, it was a very, very easy and quick fit. I think that it was just comfortable right away. So that, that made it awesome. I think the word you're looking for is immature. That's what I am. <laughs> that could be, <laughs> could be that. Could be that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we share that. Guilty. Absolutely. We share that. And that's one of the reasons that we are still here. Yeah. Uh, well, and then in our progression, I should actually, I, I, I don't want to get to without mentioning this. And then for our hundredth episode, we, we welcomed, we welcomed Kayla as a, as a co-host uh, who we, who we had had on uh, about six weeks beforehand as a, as a fan guest. But again, we just, we click with her. Like it was, she was learning from us and she wanted to kind of learn more about the game but she's not afraid to give her opinion and, and she's f- super fun. Like she will throw in funny comments and she doesn't mind us picking on her like older brothers. So it, it really did become like a sibling relationship. And, and so we've been very lucky that way. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety with COVID-19 on our field. We also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Vaccine is, could be January, it could be March, it could be June, it could be whatever. It all depends on whether or not Canada can get access and how fast, whether or not maybe a, a, 
a place can come online and produce it within Canada, which is notwithstanding all of that. The CFL has said schedule goes. Do you think that we're going to be in the stands come opening night? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I don't think we're going to see full capacity opening night. I don't think that they run without fans. And I think if there's any delays, we might see half a season and not a full season. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to see, depending on how readily available a vaccine is on top of timing of when it's available. Uh, I know we talked about this before, but I, I, I don't think everybody is going to be immediately comfortable with going back into a large crowd. Um, there's still a lot of unknowns and, um, I know there are people I've, I've talked to people who have said that, you know, I, I, I love the game. I want the game to be back. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable at this particular moment that I'd be going, walking back into the stadium to watch a game. And we're going to see how that, that will see how that all plays out. Right. We can still tailgate. Well, you could, yeah, because you can stand six feet away at a tailgate. I'll throw, I'll throw you your hot dog. That's fine. Yeah, just stay over there. <laughs> we need a hot dog cannon. That's all. Oh, that is a brilliant tailgate idea. We need that next year. That'll be outstanding. Yes, hold still. All the money we saved this year. Open wide. <laughs> a trebuchet for our uh, chili and a bread bowl. Go long, Travis. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to 2021. And I know that in, in my own heart, if I'm given the opportunity to be one of, let's say, 5,000 on opening night or whatever they restrict it to, I'll be there mask on, ready to go. Like, I just, I can't take this anymore. Well, I, I think I would be there too. I just don't know at this point if, like, the rest of my family would come or if it's just me. Right. That, like, that's what I'm talking about. I think there would be some spots where it's like, eh, okay, I, I can take care of myself. Um, and I think when we're talking about these, when you're talking about a stadium like Commonwealth, you can spread a whole bunch of people out in the stands and that's great. But then what about the common areas and the washrooms and all those kind of things? And how, how do you work that, right? So um, we, we have a lot to overcome before we know for sure that people are like, yeah, I'm I'm all on board for jumping back into the stadium. I, I want to, yep. but I want to make sure that it's going to be safe at the same time for, for me and for anyone else that's going, right? Right. Yeah, I think that's fair comment. I I just, I so want this to be an 18-game schedule. I so want this to finish with a Grey Cup in Hamilton. And, and I just do believe that with these vaccines that are talking about 90% success rates, that's far better than influenza vaccines. It's far better than malaria vaccines. I mean, it's, it's just like that kind of number is just staggering. And I kind of wonder if that will engender confidence because the success rate is so high. People are going to feel, okay, well, you know, nine out of 10 odds, I'll take those. It, it may, um, but much like any vaccine that's brand new, we, we don't, we don't know how long that's going to last, right? Um, I, I, and I'm not saying that it does this, but I did jokingly say to some people that I work with, I'm like, yeah, well, uh, you know what? We're all going to line up for the first shot and then we'll all be in the first round of the zombie apocalypse, which is outstanding. I mean, I'd rather be right off the start, just switch. I don't want to live in that, you know, but who knows what the vaccine does, right? Like, that's the thing. It, it's... It, 
uh, I, I'm in the medical field. So I, I love medical science and I love that part of it. Part of it is, is there, there's a reason that we call it practicing medicine because <laughs> you just, you know, you, you have as many answers as you have in that moment. But that, but aren't they testing thirty thousand people? Sure, but fifteen thousand with a placebo, fifteen thousand with the... absolutely, and for short term coverage, ninety percent, yes. But we don't know if that's going to be the same coverage in a year. We don't know if it's going to be the same coverage in five years. Like there are certain things that you have to get a booster every five years, right? So we don't really know where that's going to land, um, and we don't know if this virus is going to be. Like a, like a chicken pox where you get it and then it goes dormant and then something comes, you know, 25 years down the road that we, we, we just don't have that information yet. Right. So, um, that's why I say, I think that pe there'll be a wide range of people that will have varying comfortable levels when we talk about it. I, I want the 18 game season. I'm totally not trying to be a pessimist. I'm just saying that there is going to be some people that will ponder it before they make that jump. Let's play. Let's play this out and just say yes, everything works fine, and we can go to games right off the top. What's what's your f emotion going to be like sitting in those seats again? Oh, I think it's going to be a pretty powerful moment, especially when you know you see those fans in the stadium, you see the team run out on the field. But it's going to be just different because how many of us have been in a big crowd in the last nine months, right? So it's going to be a little bit odd at the same time so i'm not sure what my emotion is going to be but i know it's going to be a very strong one i guarantee at this moment there will be tears when the when that team runs out on the field and i know they're about to play and we're back in the stadium to watch them play yeah i i already know i'm going to be overcome for a little bit and then i'm going to be super excited and Walking back in, and, and many times, uh, Mike and I have talked about this. When, when it's like walking into the cathedral for us, right? That's that you you're walking into the place that has more meaning than pretty much a lot of places on the planet. So it's going to be pretty emotional. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. For 107 years, every Grey Cup moment has included you the fan. This is your league. Through fog and rain, in tragedy and triumph, you are the foundation of this league. Now take your place in history. Etch your name on the Grey Cup fan base. Become a part of the Grey Cup's legacy. Add your name and raise the cup.